Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And this is JoJo. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. as well as the producer of tomorrow's Miss Fishnet's burlesque show. <laughs> and I have the great honor of introducing uh, an actress who, uh, a star of stage and screen, an actress from a young age, has already amassed a really impressive IMDb list of things that she's been a part of. Um, she has been an actress in international television hits, like uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock and Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Uh, please help me welcome everyone's favorite orphan ward. that you are here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Look at all of these people. I know, you look so beautiful. <laughs> and everyone is here because of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, and you are here because of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Yes, I am. <laughs> and when you took that role, could you have imagined that this would become a global sensation? No, is, is the answer in short. We, right. I, I, um, I was talking to someone today and saying that we always... Um, on set while we were uh, filming season one, we always had this kind of feeling, of, like an inkling, that we were making something pretty special. Um, I guess because the novels are so beautifully written, uh, Carrie Greenwood's work was such an awesome starting point. Um, so we kind of felt like we had something magical, but I don't think any of us had any idea that you know, however many years down the line I'd be looking out at this room. <laughs> and it's amazing, and, and particularly as well, because it's literally across the, the planet. Like, it's the mm -hmm. other side of the world from where we shot the show. So, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, and I want to go back to the very beginning and learn a little bit more about how you got the role and maybe some of your first experiences uh, with Miss Fisher. Yeah, sure. So, um, actually, the the... Landing the role story is pretty boring. <laughs> it's, it was a pretty typical process. I um, so I was fourteen when I auditioned, um, and it and it came came through the way most auditions do. I got an email with some slides and some information about Every Cloud and um, about uh, the books as well. And um, I had you know a week or so to prepare and learn the lines and get ready, um, and 
and then I, I went into ABC Studios in Elston Lake in Melbourne, which actually sadly is no longer. Um, the, yeah, the building I auditioned uh, for Jane in is uh, now a mall, I think. So, <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty different now. But um, yeah, so I, I went in and did an audition and um, there was a casting director there and uh, I don't believe Deb and Fiona were both there. Um, I think just just maybe Fee, but um, it was you know it was three scenes, and I did the read, and I said thank you so much for having me, and I left, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I let it go because that's what you have to do when when you audition for a role that's fabulous, you have to completely put it out of your mind. And then I got a call uh, maybe a week later saying that I was on hold which I'm, I'm not sure if any of you know, but they're like an actor's nightmare words because it's basically saying, we want you, but we don't know. <laughs> so, and, and they don't tell you why they don't know, whether it's like logistics and scheduling or um, usually it has, has a lot to do with other cast members and chemistry. Um, and so I was on hold for about three weeks and then, yeah, <laughs> three weeks, three long weeks. And then, um, I, after a high school hockey game one afternoon, my agent called me and said they want you to play Jane and I squealed in the middle of our oval. <laughs> um, and I found out later that the, the hold and the trepidation was because Ash and I looked too similar. And so they were worried that we'd read as, as sisters or that you know people would start to think, oh, maybe there's like a subplot where they're related. And um, I think uh, Deb and Fiona were really sure that they really wanted Jane to be the, the stray. Um, but they made us look different enough and so I play Jane. <laughs> what was it like filming the first episode? Um, well, my first episode was uh, the Ballarat mm -hmm. episode. Um, and how we shot at least the first two seasons was we would do two episodes a block. So we would usually shoot out of sequence. It was pretty uh, reliant on location. And so, um, I mean, I was so excited to be there and I had to get real grubby and uh, they, they put, um, they put you know, fake dirt on my hands and my face and oiled up my hair. And um, my favourite, uh, like, grubbying up Jane uh, makeup piece, I guess, was when they made me oatmeal lice. <laughs> so they took, like, like, porridge mix and water and, like, mixed it all together and then rolled these little seeds and then put it in my hair. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so they were, they were simultaneously shooting Cocaine Blues and so I was very disconnected from that. I was doing my episode, but most of the main cast were doing two at once and I, I was really in awe because they had to have their brain in two worlds at once. And I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. What were your impressions of some of your co-stars? Oh, which ones? <laughs> they're, they're so amazing. They're such an amazing ensemble. I was actually going to say, like you mentioned chemistry being a mm -hmm. concern, right? Mm -hmm. So from maybe that first episode that you were part of, the Ballarat training, like, do you have any, uh, who did you have the best chemistry with and sort of the unexpected uh, connection with? Oh, unexpected connection. I mean, I, the, I guess the connection that comes to mind immediately is Ash, because we were like sisters on that set. We were the closest in age and um, I was a couple of, couple of years younger than her and, and slightly uh, less experienced and she really took me under her wing um, and even though 
the We Weren't Playing system, where it's a sisterly type relationship in the house between Dot and Jane. And so that was reflected outside um, the world of Franny as well. We, we became very close and she, yeah, she felt like a big sister. So that was a really key connection for me. Um, and then of course with Essie, like it was, it was an admiration thing. It was, it was so cool to be around her. And um, I always talk about learning so much on that set because yes, the ensemble is so amazing. And you know, Essie and Miriam and, and even Ash too, all of them taught me so much about acting. Um, and it was before I'd been to, you know, big girl drama school. So it really acted as, as kind of a drama school for me, that set. Um, but also the, the guests, um, like the cameo roles, because we kind of had a new actor visit us at home every week. Um, and so I got to work with some really incredible people who um, might have only done one episode, but had a big impact on me. So I guess that was the unexpected one. In standouts of those special guests? Oh, that's really hard. I, I think it has to go to Danielle McCormack. Um, Do you uh, remember which role that was? She played my mum. Yeah, 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 she played my mum. And uh, so I believe it's episode nine, season one, and um, a lot of it takes place in like a, a very scary boarding house. Like she's coming to town, she's, she's trying to reconnect with me and she gets a room in a really kind of not so great wrong side of town type boarding house and um we shot on location that wasn't a set um in a room above a, a hotel in collingwood um and even though that episode is set over i think it's about a week in the world of the show we did all those scenes in one day so it was me and danielle and the crew all crammed into this tiny little space above this bar, this little room, rooming house type room above a bar, and it was hot. It was really, really hot and stuffy, and it, it was a bit like a you know being in kind of a hyster hysterical kind of nightmare world. But we had to have each other's back so much that I think we really bonded. And her performance was so amazing. She brought her a game. <laughs> That's a very intense memory. Do you have any like? Memories of just like crazy wacky days on set. Oh uh, yeah, any day with Hugo is a crazy wacky day. <laughs> um, any day with Hugo. Uh, often uh, he was the one who he, he's such a a fun person to have on set because he's always making people laugh, um, and he'll get you in really unexpected ways. Like you'll be sitting there probably exhausted. It's six a.m. It's an early call time. And you know he'll just like lean over and whisper something really inappropriate. <laughs> um, he's always you know he's always the one with like a funny YouTube video to lift the mood and um, yeah he, his cheeky sense of humour was such a highlight. On those days when it was tough and we were all really exhausted, I mean Essie never had a day off, and so when people were willing to kind of make us laugh and lift our spirits, it was great, and it was often Hugo. <laughs> Last year we got to meet uh, Travis McMahon and Anthony Sharp, yes. and they were a lot of fun. Yes, they are a lot of fun. <laughs> what are they like to work with? Do you have any fun experiences? Yeah, them? they're, I mean, actually all the dudes are pretty, <laughs> like, <laughs> like rascals. Um, and Anth and Trav, uh, yeah, su super fun on set, um, always smiling, both of them, actually. They're always in, in even on the days when people were really tired. Um, particularly as he's so positive, he never has a bad word to say, and, and I can imagine if they had a blast here. I, I spoke to him actually, I spoke to Anthony about the con, he was the first person who told me about its existence. He was like, I've just come back from it, it was amazing, I met all these 
creative and um, passionate fans for the show and <laughs> yeah no 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 not, he didn't say he didn't say the crazy word he didn't say that <laughs> I think he should <laughs> um, but yeah the, the we, and he and I actually go back a long time he knew me since I was a kid he was friends with my parents and they used to do dinner theater together at a place called Dracula's in Melbourne where everybody dresses up as a vampire or a zombie. <laughs> and um, dances and sings rock and roll while the audience eats dinner and gets drunk. And that's how he met my parents and I was an infant on the dressing room floor and then however many years later, 14 years later, we were working together on the show and we were both like, this is insane. Um, there's a great story actually about Anthony and I on the, the set of the uh, masquerade party where everybody came in costume and I was Little Red Riding Hood. Somewhere in the like behind the scenes photo archives, there's a bunch of pictures of Anthony pretending to force feed Jane the Bollinger. <laughs> At like, and I was like 16, and we were like, we, should, we shouldn't leak these, but that, that was Anthony's vibe on set. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> people remember me last year. I was actually, I want to add like, what was it like to be raised by vampires? But, uh, uh, yeah. Also, uh, Miriam seems like uh, just a wacko and a fun person from all we've seen of her yeah. through her career and how she interacts with the media. Yes. Um, uh, what was your experience of working with Aunt Prudence? Yeah, she's, she, uh, wacko is a good word. Like the, um, <laughs> she, she's very, you know, I was saying, I was saying yesterday that she's someone who is so unashamedly herself. She's always her, no matter who she's with, no matter, you know, who's watching, whether that's the media or the producers or whatever she she's always her and sometimes that's a lot for people but I think it's really admirable like I, I I kind of love her for it because she's shameless she says what she thinks she speaks her mind and she's funny and she's yeah she's really out there but she's kind of like this is who I am and she's really proud of that and so um it's kind of inspiring to be around her yeah yeah intimidating sometimes but inspiring <laughs> um we definitely want to hear a little bit more about, you talked about uh, learning a lot from Essie. Mm -hmm. um, do you stay in touch with her? Um, do sort of the lessons continue? Or do you have any uh, things, wisdom to impart to all of us? Oh, wisdom. Um, <laughs> I, Essie wisdom. <laughs> Essie wisdom. I, I, I would love to be in touch with Essie more. She's so busy. Um, we, we are, you know, very, very occasionally. But she's in the UK now. I mean, she's had so much success with Game of Thrones and um, but I, I, yeah I, I think I could I could reach out to Essie on any given day and, and get a response because we do have that like family base from shooting this show same with all of them really same with same with Ash and, and the whole ensemble um, I guess Essie's very similar to Miriam in that she she is unapologetically Essie um, and she will really fight for what she believes in, um, whether that's someone else and she's fighting for you know, uh, a cause that goes beyond her, or if it's, um, and often I saw this, it was the integrity of the scene. So if she, if she didn't think that Franny would do that, she would walk, march right up to the director and say, Franny wouldn't do that. <laughs> because at the end of the day, who knows Franny better than the person you know, living in her high heels for years and years and years. Um, and so she, she was always very protective of um, the character and the character's world. 
And I, I try to be like that as an actress these days because I think it's really important. I think in the craziness of the set, the quick turnarounds and the quick, we've got to go, we're on a deadline or, you know, we're, we're against the clock, um, we have to break for lunch, whatever the, it, it may be, things can get swept aside. And she was always one to never let that happen, which I think is why the character uh, is so important to so many people because she played Friday's truth always. Um, and it sounds like you uh, have become, and I maybe uh, overspeaking here, close with Fiona and Deb. Or do you have uh, anything you sort of you've been able to work with female focus or female run productions? What has that been like? Yeah, I mean Deb and Fiona are so amazing. They're um, they're in a position now where they I think their show did did so much better than they ever dreamed it would, um, which is crazy to me because. They're such geniuses, but they, I think, were blown away by the response it got, and then also, you know, and then did three seasons, and then now with the film and the crowdfunding and just how connected people feel to something they created, and so they're really using that, uh, I guess, um, that position of power uh, to offer opportunities to other emerging writers, and particularly young women. They run programs where um, young writers can pitch them. Concepts for shows or a web series or, or pitch them scripts, and they take a small group under their wing every year. And they're doing, yeah, they're doing really amazing work, particularly with females. Um, yeah. It's very <laughs> um, and sorry, what was the next part of your question? <laughs> I, uh, do you stay in touch with them? Yeah, yeah, I'm in touch with them. You know, uh, reasonably, reasonably regularly. They've written me beautiful letters of recommendation uh, uh, for various jobs and opportunities and they're always so willing to do it and they're like, let us know if you need anything else. And so they're very, very giving um, and clever. <laughs> okay, I can't take it anymore. Okay. What can you tell us about the film? Oh! Are you in touch with them? Well, what, what, what kinds of things does everybody want to know? They emailed me when I was flying into New York uh, and they were saying that they're it, it's still drafting. So they're still in writers' rooms. Um, they're still figuring a lot of things out in terms of which of the characters we know and love are going to be in the film and feature in the film versus uh, new characters that uh, maybe we haven't met before or are in the books but we haven't seen on screen yet. So they're really um, trying to walk that line. And they, they, you know, they were like, we're having a lot of fun doing it because we're spoiled for choice. Like there's so much in, in Carrie's words that we could tap into and um, explore. And then there's also the world that we know and love from the show that we want to revisit. Um, so they're still figuring a lot out, but they've got, you know, they've got a really solid script and um, thanks to the fandom, they've got all this money through the crowdfunding campaign. Um, they're very, very proud of that. They're very, very grateful. Um, that was the first thing they wrote and they emailed me recently. It was like, we were so blown away by all the support we received from all over the world online. You guys. <laughs> Who yeah. here donated to the crowdfunding? Oh, yay! That's so many hands! Huzzah to that! 
before we run out of time and open this up to questions, you've had great experiences working on um, sure Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery. Yes. And you were just on A Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is available as a mini-series on Amazon Prime, if you have that. Um, and that was a young female ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that experience for you? Yeah, absolutely. Picnic at Hanging Rock uh, was, was a really incredible experience. It's amazing. Um, it was seriously female dominated. The ensemble is, is mostly girls and women. Uh, we had two female two female directors out of three across six episodes, uh, female producers, lots and lots of female crew members. Um, and it, it, it certainly it was certainly a very inspiring but also igniting time for me that shoot because I was seeing these creative women in the arts and in, in the film and television industry really doing the work and, and um, uh, being given the opportunity to focus on the female narrative and so I guess in terms of my film that's what I was responding to and you know also coming from the history of filming Miss Fishes which again has incredible female creatives behind it um, and on screen as well um, and so I, yeah, I guess I, I was inspired by everything I'd done up until that point after when, when Picnic wrapped um, and I felt like I could, I could do it. I could make something that was entirely female made. That's a great segue. <laughs> so what can we look forward to seeing? Uh, in terms of? In term, terms of your future projects. So I have, uh, well, I mean, every actor hopes that they have a few things that are coming up, right? But stuff falls through. So I'm, I've written this film, Women by the Sea, um, which will, I, I believe, and I, I keep saying, if anyone knows otherwise, please tell me so I'm not speaking out of turn, but I believe it will be Australia's first fully female feature film ever made. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, that you know that means that it's a cast of nine, uh, so it's really small. It's very intimate. Uh, we're going to shoot it in Victoria, which is my home state in Oz. Um, <laughs> one Melbourneian up the back, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously, so the cast are all are all women, and then um, my entire crew. Uh, going to be female identifying as well. So from my executive producer all the way through to, I say my gaffer, because I, I'm trying to get the, the idea across that I'm going to run the gamut um, and every single uh, employment opportunity will go to a woman on this film. Uh, what can Oh, um, so talk about it, uh, tell people, talk about it on social media, talk about it uh, in person with people, word of mouth. Um, there's uh, a crowdfunding campaign, or, or there has been a crowdfunding campaign. We raised almost eight grand in three weeks, which was pretty amazing. Um, and so I'm going to reopen that up now um, uh, that I've attached a producer and a director, and it will be a little bit bigger. It will be uh, less about connecting with my immediate uh, circles and more about going wider with it. So particularly because um, you know I'm in Australia and we're here in the US today. Like talking about it is the main thing I say people can do. Um, sharing it and and getting the message out there because while well, yes it's it's obviously a project that I love and I'm I'm proud of the script and I I hope it's going to be really entertaining and fabulous. Uh, it's got a bigger job to do this film. Um, it's it's really about because uh, you know what's happening in Hollywood right now with with movements like. Me Too and Time's Up um, has, has been so impactful uh, and we're really starting to have conversations that we should have been having decades ago um, and about 
yes, equal employment opportunities, but also treatment in the workplace and all workplaces um, and uh, equal pay. And so I, I feel like, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not being an Australian here, but I feel like often uh, we're a little bit behind the eight ball um, when it comes to the film and television industry in Australia. We're, we're always just one step behind Hollywood. And I really would like that not to be the case with this particular movement. And so I'm trying to get the message out there that we need to be taking uh, things like inclusion writers and these conversations just as seriously in Australia as people are in Hollywood. Um, so talk about it. Talk about it. <laughs> well, and thank you for helping step your country forward and uh, the entire film industry forward. And I, I very much look forward to supporting your future projects. And we're going to ask one or two more questions up here, and then we're going to open it up to you guys. I do want to acknowledge fan fiction is a very big part of this community. So um, I want to ask you, what future do you imagine for Jane as a character? Oh. Um. Wow, that's, yeah. I mean, she went off to school, we suppose. Yeah, she went off to finishing school is, is the party line. Um, um, I, you know, I, I, love to, I love to think that Jane goes, you know, really takes her education for as far as she can possibly take it. Um, and she becomes, in my head, you know, a professor or... Um, a historian. Um, she was such an avid reader through both of the, of the seasons when she was featured and, and so I think it would be pretty hard to imagine a future where that love of, of reading and learning dies. So I think, uh, yes, I'm sort of um, an educator or something, perhaps. Um, hopefully in Melbourne with Bryony, but we'll see. <laughs> so I don't know if you can tell, but costuming yeah. is particularly important in this fandom. Yeah, you all look so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and we love Marion Boyce's work. We're just mm -hmm. always drooling over the beautiful clothes that she's made. Do you have any stories about what it was like to wear those or get them made for you? Yeah, so going into a fitting room with Marion um, was always like a little bit like stepping into heaven. Um, <laughs> because, And so the other thing about the costuming is it's the first real interaction you have with your character. Because, so, you know, I, I booked the role and I got the scripts um, and, and read them, obviously, so I, I had the world on paper in my head. But before we even had a cast read-through, I had fittings. So the first time I really met Jane was in her dresses. Um, and in those, in those early fittings, they were just ideas of dresses and, and, you know, I'd stand there perfectly like a statue because I was doing what I was told. Marion would pin and you know slice and cut and kind of build it on me. And then the next time I'd go back in, that that piece of fabric that looked just like a piece of fabric was all of a sudden this incredible dress or, or Jane's school outfit, which was such an important part of me finding her. Was that long school dress? I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, she's such a such a schoolgirl. She wants to rebel and she wants to you know fight the good fight. That I learned so much about Jane when I put that dress on. <laughs> um, but then, of course, people sent stuff in, and she also, Marion also sourced so many beautiful uh, pieces from that era, like real vintage pieces. And so, yeah, it was always just such a pleasure, um, like learning what you were going to wear that block, because she she started to really, yes, dress the role, but she also started to learn our tastes, because that's mm. how good she is at what she does. And so, you know, I'd arrive um, for a fitting for, say, the beginning of block three, and she'd be like, oh, 
this these coming episodes you're gonna love what I found you and like she had such fun creating creating how these characters were gonna dress and then and then when you know we we started receiving pieces from you guys I think that blew her away because we had fans start to send in um, you know collars and brooches and little you know odds odds and ends that were from that era that they wanted to see on the show and and of course because she's fabulous like that she found a way to make it happen and she incorporated them and then we'd send stills from whichever episode people's pieces were featured in back to them to say thank you and so yeah she's she's really magical like that and I I think um, the clothes really connected the the cast and crew to the fandom Thank you for that story. I want to open this up now to all of you for about 10, 15 minutes of questions. And I'll point people out. You right there. I need to know the name of your movie. Oh, my movie's called Women by the Sea. Um, she's also on Instagram, easy to find. Yes, so my Instagram handle is at rubesbrees, R-U-B-E-S. Um, and my Instagram has lots of links uh, to the crowdfunding page, and I can I can send you guys a link as well, and awesome. um, we can share it that way. Um, but there's yeah, there's there'll always be more information to come. It'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> Other questions? Were any of the clothing more Yes, yes. So um, often uh, uh, we'd we'd source pieces. So um, and even the pieces that weren't necessarily uh, vintage, the, the way that they were, the fabric was. So she would find fabric, you know, she'd, she'd shop in like flea markets and like she'd find, go to antique stores and find this stuff. We didn't know how, we, we couldn't understand how she was doing it. She was like manifesting this stuff. Um, but yes, a lot, of, a lot of the pieces were either in part or in full real vintage from that era. Yeah, yeah. Quilting mom. <laughs> Hi Kelly. Uh, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, and I refuse to answer it. <laughs> solid reason why and I, I think um, so often girls and women in the arts are told to pigeonhole themselves yeah but what are you really so you write and you act but are you an actress or are you a writer and I don't believe it happens to men as often um, I think that that it, it happens to women because people want to get a handle on it people want to put you in a box and tell you what you are so they can understand and relate to you and I, I write I direct I produce a little bit, and so I do everything. I wear all hats. I wear all the cloches, and I refuse. I refuse to give that up. I can be. I can be lots and lots of things at once. Truly, the best lesson we've learned. You can do everything at once. You can do everything. Yeah. You have fun there. Oh, I just have a few quick questions. The first one is: Did you take anything from the set after you left? Oh, and the second one is: What is the most significant Change that you've seen in your life since you were participating in this 
Wow. Okay, great. You have such interesting questions. Um, something from the set. I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I think because, um, and it's, it's, it's lovely actually why we always had faith that we need to go back to the stuff. Uh, we'd always had, we always had faith, or the, you know, the producers and the team, the crew, always had faith that we'd need to use the stuff again. So we couldn't take it home because it was still going to be a potential prop, which it will be. Um, and so I don't, yeah, no, I don't think I did take anything home. However, when we wrapped season two, Deb and Fiona had um, uh, flasks and cocktail shakers and stirrers all made in sterling silver with Miss Fisher's uh, and the year engraved on them. So that was like our constellation prize for not being able to take them. <laughs> um, and the, the biggest change, I guess, um, well, I mean, between starting shooting Miss Fishes and now, I've, I have been to drama school um, and I've lived in New York. Um, and I've, I've, I guess I've really, I grew, I grew up on that set. I, I say, I often say that I really grew up on that set. My, six, my sweet 16 was on that set. Um, <laughs> They brought out a cake, like it was literally on that set between scenes. Um, and, and so I, I can't, I don't know that I can put my finger on one particular change. It just has been really formative years. And so I feel like the, big, the biggest thing that's changed is me. <laughs> my pleasure. The first book I read cover to cover, because I, when I found out I got the role, I flicked through a lot of them. I went out and bought, I think, at least the first seven um, in one go and flicked through a lot of them. But I read um, The Ballarat Train uh, cover to cover first because that was going to be the episode I was shooting in a few weeks' time. And so I think that one holds a special place in my heart purely because it was the first one I read and it's, it's the book that introduces Jane and, um, you know, she's so bad in it she's stealing jewels and running away and jumping off moving carriages and so I yeah I think I can't really go past that one did you have you met her yeah 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 so we it's not as great as this but we have events in Australia as well um <laughs> it's not as thorough as this I should say um and yeah she uh, we had an event actually at a um one of those beautiful old the, a bookshop in a, one of those beautiful old Melbourne buildings, very similar to the ones we see on screen. Um, and she came along and we did a signing together. It was just her and I at the desk. I was like, it's such an honor to sit next to you. And she's lovely. Yeah, she's really, um, she'd fit right in here. <laughs> I got that impression as well. Yeah. You in the back there in that corner. No, I'm, I'm going to do her real quick and then come over to you. Uh, Essie always fought on lots of people's behalves because, she, you know, that really that show. She is that show. She is the show. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely. And I, you know, it's funny now. I can't. I can't remember exactly. But I that episode I was talking about earlier with my mum. Some of my my dialogue was um, quite limited. Uh, I didn't originally in the script. Jane doesn't talk through everything she's feeling. She's sort of very upset and emotional, and so we, we know that she's she's going through what she's going through, but she doesn't put words to it. 
And actually on that day, I, I pulled Essie aside and said, she's so articulate, I, I think she'd have more to say about what's going on. And we approached the director together actually. And, and the, the line I say when I fall into her arms, which I wish I could remember what it is, but I don't. <laughs> I, I wrote and said, I think this is what Jane would say. And that's what ended up in the show. So I, I have fought for, for Jane's integrity and the truth of Jane, because I do, I do think that she, she's someone who can speak her mind and can speak through what she's feeling, even though she's young. And I really wanted, I wanted that moment um, with Franny when they're reunited after such a trauma out on the roof that, um, yeah, and we made it happen and the director was very open to it. And yeah, so it wasn't really a fight, but. I don't think I can go past the Christmas episode. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, because we, it, it aligned to be the last day of that season as well, like out in our real world. So it was, it was the last day that, um, we were all going to be together for, we didn't know how long, because, you know, as, as you guys probably know, we didn't know at the end of each season if we were going to do another one. And, um, so it was always a bit emotional. It was always a bit sad. It felt like saying goodbye to family. And so we, and it was the last scene of the day and. Um, it was right after lunch and we were all in very high spirits and we had to sing and no one could really sing and, <laughs> um, and you know, like there's a real, there was a real romance to that scene and so um, it just sticks out in my head as a lot of fun. They kind of pointed cameras at us and went, go on, dance. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that was probably one of my, my best memories on set. on today in Literary Sisters um, a little bit about the character that she's she's really had for someone so young she's had a really rough time um, we you know we know that she's disconnected from her mother um, we see at the very, very beginning of episode two where she's living and the conditions that she's living in and how she's being treated she's being forced to steal and and in the books you know it, it, it does discuss that there's this, this potential that she was sexually assaulted or that she was at least mishandled and, and potentially people were violent with her. Um, and I do think that's what gives her her strength and her grit and potentially her cunning, like her, her street smarts. But it was important to me that I, I didn't just play the, the positive flip side of that and that she had, had a darkness to her history. And I think that's why when she gets taken in, um, and the I'm not a nice girl scene is so moving is because they're connecting over coming from hardship and, and having to overcome adversity. And so I guess the, the most challenging part of, of bringing her to life on screen was making sure that was there. Um, because it, I, I believed it would connect people to her even more. Oh, where do you want me to start? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, retrospect is a wonderful thing, and I, I do really talk about having not been to drama school when I played this character a lot, because with all the training, and I had, I had some amazing 
training. I, I trained in New York and I trained with what I believe are some of the best teachers alive today. Was lucky enough to uh, be mentored in that in that way, and so had I played Jane with all that knowledge, I think um, I, there would have been lots of things I, I did differently. But um, that's not how it happened, and so um, she is what she is. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you just have to kind of take it as it comes and learn from that. But I, I don't know that I'm I would change anything now. I just think if I known things that I know now, it maybe would have looked different, but who knows, maybe not. I'll jump over here. How, how similar would you say Nathan is in real life, this character guy? <laughs> 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 We're just talking a lot about him. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, similar to Jack, it's interesting, he's a pretty cool guy, Nathan. Like he's, you know, he gets around on a motorbike and He's got tattoos everywhere. He's got, for memory, he's got his his son's name on his forearm in a big, like, badass, almost pirate heart type tattoo. And, um, yeah, he's he's a very he was always a very stable presence on set. You know, we, I, I said before that we had these kind of rascally boys and had a lot of fun. And Nathan, for sure, has a fantastic sense of humor, but he was always very calm. Um, uh, reassuring presence um we had some we had some great scenes together where um towards the end of season two i believe and um it always felt very safe working with him um i think that speaks to who he is as a person he's a dad so he really gets like uh the importance of kindness and empathy and um yeah he's he's wonderful to work with <laughs> i saw another hand in that general area at some point Anybody else? Lock picker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this could apply either being an actor or the writer behind the camera. What it's, it's wonderful that we see on the show, whatever the circumstance dictates, a character will have some bit of arcane knowledge or skill set that is unconventional. Oh, I can do this thing, I can solve this thing. I can pick locks. <laughs> <laughs> what other sorts of either Intricate or specialized skills do you either envision a character having, or do you think maybe if you imagine Jane having to try to get, you know, would you like to write a character to do something unexpected? Um, I'd love to write characters who can do unexpected things. I, I endeavor to do that for sure. Um, Jane wise, I think she probably has a whole skill set that the audience has no idea about. Um, she, she's such, I mean, she's such an avid reader. She's an avid reader in the show, and she's an avid, avid reader in the books as well and her I guess her kind of main interest different differs slightly like uh, in the books I believe it's more medical she loves the body and she loves like anatomy and kind of thinks doctor and in the show she's more into history and archaeology and Egyptology and so it's a slightly different uh, set of interests but I, I think across both mediums she's this really avid reader and I think anyone who reads a lot can do anything so. <laughs> One last question from anyone? It's time to shine. <laughs> All right, well, we have a quick custom here at the Miss Fisher podcast. At the end of every episode, we do a toast. And we thought that we would invite Mary first to get her camera out. Oh, 
reminding her. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, invites our, uh, our our favorite rebel schoolgirl, <laughs> yes. our favorite feminist filmmaker, <laughs> to lead all of us in a toast. Okay. Oh, I'm a bit nervous. Don't be nervous. Because it's like a, it's a set up tradition. <laughs> no, but if we're on the podcast, I feel like I'm holding up a, a ritual. You are. You'll do Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, so I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit long and do then it. do the toast. Okay, cool. Okay. okay, so my toast is going to be... Should we stand up? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, okay, so I'm going to make a toast to all the frinies out there. Um, and I don't just mean, you know... Frinies, like if you dress up as Friny. I mean, all the people out there who came over adversity, came from hardship or challenges, and managed to make their way and be true to themselves and chase their dreams and helped other people along the way, opened up homes, opened up hearts, and took the time to, uh, in their own little way, change the world. To the Frinies. Frinies. Well, thank you so very much. We're going to uh, open up to the adventurers to help lead through what I believe is an autograph session. Thank you all so very much for having me and Mary and Ruby up here today. Thank you. So we have a little update on Australia. Jojo and I recently launched a GoFundMe. Yeah, so as you know, we are going on a crazy Miss Fisher Australian adventure, and we're very excited to be able to hopefully record several episodes while we're there. So if you like this podcast and you're so inclined, you can go to our website and support the GoFundMe. Other ways you can support us is just by posting it or making comments. We love comments. We do love comments. And we're so looking forward to uh, going on a Miss Fisher adventure of a lifetime. A funny moon. A fandom honeymoon. So if you want to support our funny moon fund, (laughs) uh, yeah, you can find out more at the website. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.